This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. A recent headline in the New York Times, Long slide looms for world population with sweeping ramifications. Fewer babies cries, more abandoned homes. Toward the middle of this century, as deaths start to exceed births, changes will come that are hard to fathom. Well, that's the warning. For decades, it was trying to slow down population growth. And now that we've done that and put the population into a decline with low fertility rates across the board, we're starting to think maybe this wasn't such a good idea. And is there a religion factor in this long-term news? Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry Mattingly is senior fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. Terry, I understand that you are joining us this week from one of your old stomping grounds. Yes, I'm at about 8,500 feet altitude right now uh, in Summit County, Colorado. Uh, My family lived in Colorado for almost a decade, ending in in 1993. So we are out here with grandkids and everything else and got to visit a spectacular place that very few people go to. We went to the Great Sand Dunes in the San Luis Valley, like 700 feet tall sand dunes. But anyway, the five grandkids had a blast. So why is the birth rate story still a religion story? Well, it's a story that affects almost everything right now. I mean, it's it's, it's hard to find a major story in American life that the, the demographic decline doesn't begin to affect. And, of course, for the Times, it primarily was a political story. I mean, declining population in California for the first time ever cost them a seat in Congress. I mean, so that's the big deal. But in, in a story like this where there are so many obvious religion angles, and you see this even when you look at the global level, it's, it's a perfect example of what Get Religion for 17 years has called a ghost. You know, a, a story that if you don't include the religious dimension, then you don't understand what's happening in our world today. What is that religious dimension in declining fertility rates? Well, there's, it's different in different places. I mean, for example, right now, what part of the tensions in China between the Chinese government and the growing Muslim populations is based on the fact that they're growing and the ethnic Chinese population is in rapid decline. And of course, we're eight or nine years after the ending of China's mandatory one-child policy, but it seems they're having trouble pulling urban China out of that way of life. And there's another story. How many stories have you seen in the last uh, last two presidential cycles that have talked about the growing divide in America between the elite urban cities and the heartland of America. I mean, it's the, it's the meta-narrative through the last two cycles. 
Right. And one of the things that's happening there is that the family structures and the size of the families is often radically different in different parts of the country. And urban versus rural is another one of those angles of this story where it kicks in. Now, you specifically, you deserve an answer to your questions about what's the religion angle here. Well, several times at Get Religion through the years, I have used a couple of paragraphs from a piece that ran at the Weekly Standard. And the the piece was a, was entitled America's One-Child Policy. And in it, it did a, a fantastic job of condensing the religious element down into just a few paragraphs. So even though it's fairly long, let me read it because I, I think listeners – need to understand. Okay, in a world where childbearing has no practical benefit, in other words, a post-agrarian economy, people have babies because they want to, either for self-fulfillment or as a moral imperative. Moral imperative, of course, is a euphemism for religious compulsion. There are stark differences in fertility between secular and religious people. The best indicator of actual fertility is aspirational fertility. The number of children men and women say they would like to have. Gallup has been asking Americans about their ideal family size since 1936. When they first asked the question, 64% of Americans said that three or more children were ideal. 34% said zero, one, or two were ideal. Today, now this this piece is also more than a decade old. Today, only 34% of Americans think that a family with three or more children is ideal. Now, I could go on here, but it, what the article shows very clearly is that the number of people that a family, a number of babies that a family typically has is directly related to how often it attends worship services which is really quite remarkable. In other words, it isn't just claimed religious beliefs. It's enacted, lived-out religious belief that affects fertility. Now, we could talk about how this has affected you know, major religious denominations in America. We can talk about how it's affected, oh, I mean, two stories I always cite would be the, um, the shortage of Catholic priests, Right now, I've seen data very strongly linking this to the fact that Catholic birth rates in America are now the same as everybody else and are either at replacement rate or below, even among Latinos and others. We could talk about the the kind of tough environmental, financial environment for religious schools right now. And when you look at it, one of the things it boils down to is how many children do the families have that are seeking a religious education for their children? Now, it's more likely that families with lots of children are going to turn to those schools, but we're still seeing a decline there. We get into issues of military policy and trying to recruit for the mil- I could go on and on and on. The old statement that demographics is destiny is definitely a truism that you could pull out to discuss in this context. There's a very recent story 
from a religion news service that the headline read, study more churches are closing than opening. Do you think that there is, now they focus almost entirely on COVID. They don't mention declining fertility rates. But do you think that that should be included as the backdrop for the decline in actual congregations? Yeah, yes, definitely. I mean, this is something that's been nagging at them for several decades ago. It was, gosh, a, a decade or so ago that the presiding bishop of the um, Episcopal Church, Jeffrey Shorey, I believe her first name was Catherine Jeffrey Shorey, gave a rather infamous quote, and we said, she said, of course Episcopalians have fewer children than others. We care about the environment, and we care about women being able to live the lives they want to live, or words to that effect. And people immediately noted, you know, is she real, does she really intend to be that blunt and say that, you know, that the happier life is the life without children, the more pro-environmental life is the life without X number of children. And I'm, I'm sure that's what she meant, especially the environmental part. The more you dig into this, what you find is that people are uh, obtaining meaning in their life from different things than they used to. And when you ask people why they're not having children, the, the majority answers, the primary reasons is, well, I think it would affect my lifestyle. I don't think I have enough money to have children or to have a lot of children. And this also gets us into another area in which there have been many, many stories in the last couple of years. And that is, A, the problem that we're seeing with marriage. Marriages are forming later, which affects fertility. And at the same time, we're seeing that young Americans between the ages of about 20 and 35 are living in a pandemic of anxiety and loneliness. And some people might say that there's a connection between that and both their, their struggles to form marriages and form families and maybe the fact that they haven't achieved those goals yet, if, if, if that is a goal that they still seek. We're really dealing with religious convictions on both sides here, because if one is willing to slightly bend the definition of the word religious, the convictions that drive religious families to have more children are held equally strongly as convictions that are causing non-religious people to not have children. It's, it's a classic example of the fact that if you define religion in terms of what do you think and what do you do in order to achieve meaning in life and also meaning, ultimate meaning in life, where do you see you know, your role, your responsibility to family and to your own legacy, and to what degree do you believe in life after death, to what degree do you believe that actions in this life have ramifications? Well, like I said, I could go on and on with this, but any way you look at it, these are questions that have religious overtones. And I find it fascinating that even in stories as obvious as stories about the Catholic priesthood 
shortage or declining numbers in schools. But even in these very obvious stories, we don't have people asking questions about birthright, and then we don't see those questions link you know, directly to religious factors. That story, the, the long slide story, I thought it was fa- – I kept waiting for religion to be wait- mentioned, waiting, waiting, waiting. And finally, near the end of the story, there is a single sentence that says, in a speech last Friday during a conference on Italy's birth rate crisis, Pope Francis said the, quote, demographic winter, unquote, was still, quote, cold and dark, period. And that's it. I've looked up more on this on the papal address. And it's really quite amazing. I mean, you could have could have or should have done an entire story just on what Pope Francis said about the crisis in the nation that we all think of as a Catholic nation somehow. And he goes in depth into issues of economics and people changing their concepts of where they find meaning in life. And he gets right down into the implications for how this will affect life in Italy especially in its small towns and villages that are so much a part of the image of Italy. But in the New York Times, it got one sentence in this story about this, what is viewed as essentially as a political and economic trend. And it's not as though a quote from the Pope, even this Pope, can be presented this way without the layers and layers of context, especially given the fact that childbearing was strongly encouraged in Roman Catholic piety, and still is, as far as I know. Well, it's one of those things that it's encouraged in Catholic piety, but the the Catholic birth rate in America is now pretty much the same as the secular public. And in in a nation such, such as Italy, Italy has one of the lowest birth rates in all of Europe. I mean, so you can say it's a part of the image it's a part of some sort of common shared piety, but right now, that piety and the, those beliefs stated in the catechism are not trumping the economic and cultural realities you know, of life in the modern, driven, digital, fast-paced world where people think they need X amount of space, X amount of room to live a valid life. I used to think about this when I was visiting in New York during the years that I taught in New York part-time. And everyone was talking about, you know, the fact that there's a crisis in New York City where the minute you've had a child or let alone, heaven forbid, if you've had two children, you just simply can't afford to live in New York City. Well, that's interesting, especially when you look at the Brooklyn neighborhoods that are now so trendy and edgy and kind of millennial chic. Those apartments used to hold Italian families and Puerto Rican families and others who had quite a few children. They just lived differently. They had different standards for what they did with their life and how they lived their life and what they thought would ultimately bring them happiness. If you try to unpack a phrase from Pope Francis, demographic winter is such a um, such a loaded phrase. Oh, by the way, 
Are you familiar with a great novel? Some people call it a work of science fiction. Some call it political fiction. Are you familiar with the the great British mystery novelist P.D. James? I am not. Okay, fantastic, very strong. She died recently, you know, in her in her nineties, and was a great writer right up to the end. She wrote a book very different from the rest of her books called The Children of Men. And in this book, which is painted as kind of a dystopian look at the future, it's been 25 years since a child has been born on planet Earth. And no one knows why births have stopped. And it gets into all of the different ramifications. Slavery comes back because you, you have to be able to force some people to do the labor that nobody wants to do, et cetera. I, was, I looked that book up just out of curiosity, and sure enough, the book is set in 2021. And she wrote it, she said in interviews, kind of as a, a tribute to Pope John Paul II's famous letter, epistle on the culture of death. And that eventually you have a culture that bases its values more on things that take life instead of give life. And that there are things more important, so to speak, to happiness or fulfillment that have to do with avoiding children, avoiding having children, avoiding having too many children. So so she wrote this very frightening novel. And um, I would recommend that to any listener who um, wants to, to read something that is maybe more relevant than we wish it was. Are you encouraged by the fact that the New York Times has run a story about declining fertility rates? Many might assume that the Times would be promoting an overpopulation narrative or would be promoting this as, and they did to a certain extent, good news for the environment, something like that. Well, yeah. But I really think the drive to cover it is the the drive to cover the economic and the political effects of this. And then you look you look around the world and you begin to think, well, could we literally see entire towns and small cities in America beginning to close? I'm hoping to do a column next week interviewing a woman who's the head of a society in England to take care of abandoned churches. Now, they have an emphasis on churches that are historically important, that they are strategically located, and frankly, that they're quite beautiful, something that a lot of abandoned churches in America would not have any of those factors. But once again, this is a ramification not only of lost belief, it's a ramification of the birth rate and the demographics in the Church of England, and even in the Catholic Church in England. Here in America, as you noted in that story earlier, that didn't look at any of the demographic or doctrinal issues linked to this, we're going to have a lot of abandoned churches. And they're going to be put, some of them occupy prime real estate in major cities. This could turn into a story that people are more willing to cover it as a real estate story than as a story that has religious and moral 
and even psychological elements linked to loneliness and anxiety and broken families and families that never formed, broken marriages and marriages that never formed. What's going on here is a question that a good editor should ask at this point. Several years ago, I had a conversation about effectively the the Islamization of Western Europe due to two factors. One, immigration, and two, farther down the road, the fact that these immigrants reproduce at a far greater rate percentage-wise than their Western European counterparts, non-immigrants. And I think the phrase came up, demographics is destiny. Now, that's a religion story. That's a political story. That's all kinds of stories. And maybe the story here is who is going to continue to have high fertility rates. Yeah, it's interesting. When when people immigrate to modern countries like France and wherever, there's an indication that their high fertility lasts for about one or two generations. But then they themselves get kind of caught up in this this concept of defining success and happiness almost completely in economic and entertainment and self-fulfillment terms. I've, I've read whole articles saying that we see this now in some elements of Latino and Hispanic culture here in North America. We, we could talk about that a lot, and it would sound very judgmental. I think the main thing we need to look at, though, is we're now talking about a global story. I was looking in one of the New York Times stories on this topic, and it was saying that by the year – 2100, which, you know, is 80 years away. It's a gener- you know, one or two generations away. But at current projections, by that year, 183 countries and territories out of 195 in the world will have fertility rates below replacement level. So, I mean, this is obviously something that just isn't one religion or one group. This has something to do with where modern people find meaning in life. And I guess my big idea today is to stress that that is essentially a religious question. With about a minute here, what questions, what angles would you like to see? If you're the editor and you're handing out assignments, would you like to see pursued in print on the falling fertility rate? I think a lot would depend on where my newspaper or my newsroom was located. If it was in a major city, I think you'd, you'd probably go straight to schools, and you might contrast religious schools with public schools. If you were in the Midwest, you might ask if farm life has changed so much that it has begun to affect population, and to say that it's it's linked to that there are many young people who no longer find meaning in living in smaller farming communities or in different parts of the country. I guess I would say do the urban versus rural story and all the angles that go with it, but talk to religious leaders who are in these parts of the country and ask them for their insights on how, how they see it and why they believe it's happening. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. 
and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, talk with you again next week. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Matting. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.